సహనావతు సహనౌపునక్తు సహవీర్యం కరవాహై తేజస్వినవతీతమస్తమాషావహై శాంతి 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 any questions from anyone it's been a couple of weeks i hope everyone was listening to the podcast keeping in touch we've been listening to okay oh, good hope it doesn't uh, sway your concentration <laughs> any questions from anyone okay so the effect of this knowledge is that it helps purify your mind the effect of this knowledge is that it helps purify your mind right now there's so much ignorance and you're unclear about what life is about there's so much impurities in your mind This knowledge gives you clarity and removes those impurities and purifies your mind. What are the impurities? Desire. Wants and needs. <coughs> Expectations. Okay. So the main uh, impurity is desires and from that stems all the others, selfishness, likes and dislikes ego attachment wants and needs all those are the negative qualities all stems from desires so why do you need to purify the mind of these things to concentrate on the higher perfect you need to purify the mind so you can think of the higher being the god principle If an impure mind it make it makes it more difficult to think of the higher because all your thoughts are on the world. So you can't think of the higher. Yeah, a few minutes in the temple, two minutes while you're praying in the morning. That's it. No other time you can think of the higher. But with purifying the mind, you enables you to think of the higher more often. Your mind keeps going to all the other things and you cannot concentrate on the thought of God. Only with a purified mind can you reach the goal of a human life, of a human being. Only with a purified mind. So all these yogas, everything, it all this knowledge is to help you purify the mind. You might say I go to the temple every week. So I'm doing enough. I don't need to do all this. It's enough for me. What do you say? People do that. I go to temple every Sunday. It's enough. Could be enough. It depends on how they spend that one one time a week. Okay. Time at the temple. So would four hours in the temple Sunday morning be enough to purify the mind when the mind is all the other time in the world if it's in the world and has relatively less desires anyway because if you're saying that the the crux of it is is its desires that cause the mm. unpurification so therefore if the desires are less and then you're going mm. along possible so You're right, of course, but for generally what we're talking about, everyone here, for example, everyone outside here who if they've got relatively less desires, absolutely, but most people who this is what normally people do, isn't it? Once a week. So I read something in the morning which should make this quite clear. Arthur Schopenhauer, German philosopher. So no Indian guru or anything like that, yeah. says we see in all times and in all conditions that the great majority of mankind finds it easier to beg their way to heaven 
by prayers rather than to deserve to go there by their actions. It is because the majority thinks like this that there are so many places of worship, festivals and priests in the world. It is wrong to suppose that we will get heavens or moksha or that all our duties towards the Lord have been accomplished by merely going to the temple and praying there. Did everyone understand that? That's a German philosopher saying. So what does that then boils down to is that you have to put in effort. There's no other way. Bella, did you understand that? Okay, who wants to explain? I'll read it again. So this is a German philosopher. He says, We see in all times and in all conditions that great majority of mankind, human beings, finds it much easier to beg their way to heaven by prayers rather than to deserve to go there by their actions. So they, what we were saying earlier, we're happy to go to temple, pray for a couple of hours, and we think that's enough. And that, we feel, is enough for us to go to heaven. I've done enough. But what about your actions? This is what they're saying. It's because the majority thinks like this, most people think like this, that there are so many places of worship, festival and priests, not only in, in all religions. So he's saying, it is wrong to suppose that we will get to heaven or moksha, the goal of human beings. That all the duties towards the Lord have been accomplished by merely going to the temple and praying there. So much ready? It's quite poignant. I just read this this morning and I thought I'll share it with you. So if that's all you're doing, you can change. You have to put in effort. There's no other way. And for that, you need knowledge to be able to put in the effort. So now we're starting chapter 2 of Vedanta Treaties, World and Human Being. We're now systematically and logically going to work towards understanding the higher, the higher being. Systematically. Anyone who doesn't understand anything, they must point out and say, please, can you explain that properly? Because from this point onwards, we're going to systematically move forward. So chapter two is world and human being, mystery of the origin. The mystery of the world is unknown, but it has been a question asked by humanity since their existence. Did the tree come first or the seed? The chicken come first or the egg? What was first, the cause or the effect? The human intellect has been unable to answer these questions. So in response to these questions, and to calm the mind, someone gave it a name as, anyone? God. God. Who was your father's first father? You don't know. Someone said God. God created the world. So only a human can ask these questions. Nobody else can ask these questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where did the world come from? What is beyond this world? Only a human can ask this. So some wise person said, God created this world. Then the next question arises. What is the next question? Who is God? Absolutely. Who is God? <laughs> huh? So the answer to that was given as the creator of the world. Does this help the person understand? Who, who gave uh, the word God the name? Some wise person. He could have said any word. We're getting to that. Could have said Amar. 
So does this help the person understand? Therefore the creator of the universe and everything in it was given the name God. Some people regard God as a form, idol. Some as formless, idolless worship. Either way, only a few understand that the introduction of God as the creator is just a theory. It is not a conclusive answer. It is like saying the volume of a room is X. Who's a mathematician in here? <laughs> X is not an answer, is it? Similarly, God was given as a postulation like that. It is not an answer to the question, who created the world? But in their ignorance, humanity has accepted that God created the world and that it is quite clear to them who God is. As a matter of fact, they condemn any person who intelligently inquires about this concept and regard it as offensive. So they get upset. How dare you question? So I ask you, who created the world? Who is God? Can anyone explain? Anything? Can you explain? It is like saying, Krishnamit, what is your weight? You say it's X, because you don't want to tell me. How does that answer the question? Does that answer the question? Am I any wiser? We shall ask you, what is the height, your height? You say it's X. Do I have any? I'm still ignorant of what it is. So people took the answer as X and went with it. This is what the word God means. It's the same as saying X. Is everyone clear? Up to here, is everyone clear? What we're saying? Every, who created the world is an unknown factor. And the answer, and you answer the question with an unknown factor. For the mathematicians, can that answer, can that work in maths? It can't work. Cannot work somehow, can it? Cannot answer an unknown factor with an unknown factor. So the result is nobody knows God. And what are we doing in the name of God? Let's see. Humans have lost their power of reason, have taken the concept of God to a state of fanatism. This state has consumed humanity. Stories and history of God are preached by religious leaders to the masses for generations. But this can never answer the question of the unknown. What are we doing in the name of God? You look back at history, how many people have been killed in the name of God? This is the real God, not your God. This is the way to pray to God, not your way. My God is like this. Your God is not, therefore, is the real God. How dare you say this about my God? You blasphemous. You say that again about my God and we will kill you. It's ridiculous, isn't it? In this country, only this God will be prayed to. No other God. Anyone praying to any other God will be executed. Isn't this what's going on? In the name of God, which no one understands? Crazy, isn't it? So Vedanta answers the question of the unknown in a scientific, logical manner. It takes one from the known to the unknown in a logical way from ignorance to knowledge, from confusion to enlightenment. One then is able to validate and experience the definitive truth. So what this knowledge does is takes your hand, explains everything that you do know right now, and takes you slowly to the unknown, step by step, 
whereby you then experience that unknown we call God. Yeah. The next topic. Any questions? Is everyone clear about this? I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible. Does everyone agree this is what's going on in the world? So no? The creation of the world is not known to the majority of the people. They ask and want to know. They are told that God created the world. God is unknown to all, therefore cannot answer the question. One does not gain any knowledge from an unknown factor. The principle of education is that knowledge proceeds from the known to the unknown. At school, they teach you what they teach you A B C D before they take you to Shakespeare, isn't it? They have to teach you the basics. So they, they teach you what you know, and then they build up to it. Therefore, we need to go from what we know, and then from there, slowly discover the unknown. So what do we, what do we mean by this? What do we know? At the moment, what do we know? Knowledge slowly. Knowledge slowly, yeah. <coughs> Right now, forget this knowledge. What do you know at the moment? We have wants and desires. We need to exhaust our desires before we can get to any point. More basic than that. That is the knowledge. Okay. What do we know at the moment? Forget God, forget higher principles. What do we know at the moment? What do you know at the moment? Who we are, the lineage. You know who you are. You're a female. A woman of this age. What else do we know? Normal senses. Senses. We know the world. We live in the world. So everyone knows themselves, and everyone knows the world. So would we say that's a safe place to start from, as the known? Yeah. Okay. So that's where we're going to start from. So we all know that. That's why it's called from the known to the unknown. Give you an example. You're going to a new city. Is it Milan? See, Anish. You're going for the first time. Anish says, Mom, I'll meet you at the library. Do you know where the library is? You've never been there, have you? You don't know, don't you? So you say, well, I don't know the library. So Anish says, it's two doors away from McDonald's, Mum. Do you know what McDonald's is? That doesn't help you either, does it? <laughs> that is, still doesn't help you. So then you say, well, I don't know what the McDonald's is. Says, Mum, you're coming to Milan. Where, how are you coming here? I'm coming from train, from Paris. Okay. And McDonald's is opposite the train station. Now you know where McDonald's is. Where's the library? next to it. Now you know where the library is, where you're meeting Anish, correct? So that's the known to the unknown. You, wear, you know the station because you're getting off at the station. Now you know the unknown from what you know. Everyone clear with that? Okay. So we want to find out who created the world, the higher entity, the higher being. So using this principle of known to the unknown, which is yourself and the world. We know the world and we know ourselves. So explore what we know, the facts of life, how we, a human being, functions. And from there, we scientifically try to understand the unknown, the creator of the world we call God. In this way, we discover the truths of life and our goal in life. And this will lead us to experience the ultimate truth. Clear? We're going, to do, we're going to now study the known. Because we don't, we only, all we know is ourselves and the world. So let's start with that. One is told that God is infinite love, infinite power, infinite mercy, 
These are all unknown factors. One's intellect cannot conceive infinity. Mathematicians, infinity. Can we conceive infinity? We cannot. Therefore, these unknown factors cannot answer the mystery of the unknown. So therefore, in the naivety, the ignorant believe they know God. The intelligent realizes they do not have the capacity to find out and give up their search. So a person inquires, okay, can you explain what God is? God is infinite love, infinite mercy, but I don't understand what infinite is. What do you mean you don't understand? Becomes an atheist. Because he's an intelligent person, he wants to understand God, but there's no answers. So he doesn't comply with his intelligence. He says, you know what, I'll just be an atheist. Current leaders of religions preach their concept of God out of their own fanatical beliefs. It is the blind leading the blind. So the madness of mankind, everyone is giving out their wrong concepts of God. No one knows it. Everyone's just saying, this is what it is. The non-thinker takes this and goes with it. The non-thinker. But one who thinks does not accept it, because it does not make sense to him, then becomes an atheist, a non-believer. I don't believe in God. Okay. The great Persian poet Omar Khayyam says, they talked about and about, I came out of the same door I entered. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Did you understand? They talked about and about. I came out of the same door I entered. They went to... Sorry. You went, for example, I mean, I, I don't know. What does that mean? Anyone? Didn't learn anything new. Didn't learn anything new. You go to a satsang, they talked and I talked a lot. You came out... You don't understand anything. Because no one understands the concept of God. Or the teaching. So that leads us to this poem, which we have read before, by the way. But it's, it fits in at this point, so we need to read it now. Blind Men and the Elephant. Which proves this point, yeah? Everyone got it? So this poem talks about six blind men. The poem talks about... 31. No, it's a different book, that is. Chapter 2. The poem talks about... Don't worry about it. The poem talks about six blind men who go to see an elephant. That's absurd in itself. They're blind, how can they see an elephant? And they have no knowledge about... Elephant they have no knowledge about. So each person happens to feel a different part of the elephant. One thinks it's a wall, another a rope, fan, snake, spear, and a tree. Each one is convinced he knows what an elephant is, but they were all wrong. The poem. It was six men of Hindustan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bowl. God bless me, but the elephant is nothing but a wall. Felt the side. The second feeling of the tusk cried, oh, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, it is mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake. I see, quote he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out his eager hand and felt above the, about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quote he. Tis clear enough, the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth who chanced to touch the ear, 
said, in the blindness man can tell what this resembles most. Deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, quote he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Hindustan disputed loud and long, each of his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong. Though each was partly in the right, all were in the wrong. So oft in theological wars, the disputants, I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prate about an elephant not one of them has seen. John Godfrey Sachs. So, what does that say? What does that talk about? Who wants to explain? Each one's interpretation of what they, mm. is their opinion. Of something? Of something, that's, they've never seen that your experience. Just like everyone's got a, um, a window of what they know, and that's what they preach, but there's a lot more outside. Everyone's only talking about small thing. But does any of those descriptions describe an elephant? All six have no idea what the elephant should look like, so each one is interpreted according to their uh, senses. Their feeling, yeah. So how does that uh, relate to what we're talking about? It's the same as religion, isn't it? Everybody's interpretation is different and it's a small part of it as opposed to the no one knows. Those blind men, everyone said that, yes, I know. Elephant is like a spear. Even a blind man can tell, he's saying. He's so 100% sure. Isn't that in religion what's happening? Everyone is saying this is how it is. This is why each of the mice is questioning each other. But this is the madness that's going on. We're just looking at what's happening in the world, no? Is she? Is Rishi, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I get confused when your brother comes. <laughs> this is what's happening. That was a British English poet, by the way. So the poet compares the blind men to us humans. They could not comprehend the elephant, just like we cannot comprehend God with our limited equipments. We cannot feel God with our minds, we cannot conceive God with our intellect, and neither can we perceive him with our bodies. God enables these equipments to function, therefore it is not an object he can conceive with these equipments. Regardless of this fact, people are clear and firm that they know God. And in their ignorance, they commit wars in the name of that God. Due to peer pressures, people blindly follow these so-called spiritual heads with their wrong interpretation of God, leading to bitterness and conflict in society. The poet advises against this blind fanatical beliefs. One must rise above this and gain true knowledge of God. Vedanta gives you the knowledge to enable you to evolve spiritually and reach self-realization. God is within us, within all of us. It is our original nature. But we at the moment are ignorant of this fact. Vedanta, this knowledge, helps remove our ignorance to help restore our original nature. What does this mean? Anyone? Does anyone else, everyone understand that? I just read. What does it mean by we are ignorant to this fact that we are God? Vedanta helps remove our ignorance, helps restore our original nature. Any ideas? this back to originality before you are being influenced by different things exterior. Okay. Does everyone understand the fact what we're saying is that our original nature is of Godhood? 
And it's because of our ignorance, our lack of understanding, that we don't understand that. Yeah, everyone understands that. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example. I have to give worldly examples here. I cannot talk about the unknown, because I've just said people don't understand the unknown. Deepa, you're not well. You go to the doctors. He examines you. Says you have an infection. Take these antibiotics and you'll be better. So what does these antibiotics do, anyone? What does it do? What is the, what is the role of the antibiotic? To kill the virus. Kill the virus, kill the bacteria. Remove the infection, isn't it? Yeah. Antibiotic, it doesn't give you health. It just removes the disease. When the infection is removed, you regain your health, which is your original state. So ignorance is the disease and the knowledge of this, the self, God, Vedanta removes the disease of, the, of ignorance. And what you're left with is your true self, your original nature. Does that, does that make sense? Antibiotic removes the infection, you're left with health. Health, the antibiotic does not give you health. Similarly, this knowledge removes your ignorance, your misunderstanding. What you're left with is your original nature, which is of Godhood. Is everyone clear on that? This is how this knowledge works. The knowledge of Vedanta can only direct one towards God. Finite efforts, finite efforts cannot reach the infinite. But one cannot reach God without this knowledge. Information can only take you to the subtlest terrestrial experience. The experience of reality has to be experienced subjectively. So this knowledge can only take you so far, it's saying. Up to a point. Thereafter, it's something you have to do within to have that final experience. This is what it's saying. Does that make sense? Knowledge will take you to a certain point, but the last effort you have to put in yourself. Example, because I know everyone is not clear about this. I wasn't the first time I heard it, so example. See, we give examples of the known, because this is unknown, I have to give examples of the known. This is what we're talking about. Has anyone heard of the moon branch analogy? In Sanskrit, it's called Chandra Shaka Nyaya. No one? Okay. So, on a nice summer's day, sometimes you see the crescent moon in the sky. Has, it ever, has everyone seen that? You see the sun on one side and you see the crescent moon. But it's so bright and it's so far in the sky, you can't actually, you just somehow sometimes see it. Correct? So you're walking with your partner, your friend, and you see the crescent moon in the sky. Bella, you see the crescent moon in the sky. You're walking with your partner, Raj, and you see the crescent moon. You say to Raj, look at that moon there. And he says, what moon? I can't see anything. Look, up there. You point it in the sky. There, over there. He says, I can't see it. So you say, what, you're blind or something? Look, it's just there. No, I can't see it. You're seeing things. You say, okay. You see that tree there? You can see the tree? He says, yeah, I can see the tree. And do you see on the right the longest branch there, the third one up, longest branch? Raj says, yeah, I can see that, the long one, yes, okay. If you look at the end of that branch, the last twig on the end of that branch, you see that? Yeah, 
I see that last twig there. Now look beyond that twig in the sky. Ah, yes, I see the moon. Wow, it's beautiful. You understand? So with the help of the tree, the branch, the twig, he can now see the moon, yeah? Has the tree got anything to do with the moon? It just acts like a aid. Point of direction. Point of direction. But without it, Raj cannot see the moon. Hmm? So this knowledge acts in the same way. It has nothing to do with God. It just points you in that right direction as the tree. You have to do the last bit beyond that to see that. Godhood within you, to experience it, to become it, you have to put that last effort in. So what he's saying is no worldly knowledge can take you there. It can only take you to a certain point. Thereafter you have to do the last effort. Does anyone understand that example? That so this knowledge is like the tree. It has nothing to do with the terrestrial, but it takes you to a certain point. Thereafter you have to look for the moon. He tells you how to do that at the end as well. But that effort you have to put in. So, one must not get stuck to the knowledge. Use it purely to reach your goal. This knowledge purifies one's mind, makes one's mind contemplative, preparing one to meditate. Therefore, to discover the self within, one must go from the known within the world understand the realm of the unknown God so the last point when when you when you see the twig and you're looking for the moon the last point in this knowledge you, this is where you do your meditation and then when the mind is ready you meditate and you reach that goal any questions Are there any indicators or cues that would make you think you have sufficient knowledge to think? Because when, when, when will you know that you've got enough knowledge to think, yeah? Because I'm assuming that the knowledge will purify your mind. Mm -hmm. So what's the result of purification of the mind? You're saying, when, will I, when do I know I'm ready? Yeah. Yeah, that's what you're asking, isn't it? Yeah. Any, how, who, who can answer that question? When do you think you're ready? When you desire, like the English, when you've got no more desire. But having to reach that goal is also a desire. Reduce You're more calm within yourself. Reduce the desires, yeah. That, that is the purification process. No, so she's I, saying... So from what you already have, so if you reduce most of it um, on that... Perfect. When you're down, when you, you want nothing... Okay, the way of practically measuring is nothing agitates you in the world. <laughs> That's the first step. Nothing agitates you in the world. <laughs> you have no wants in the world. Agitation it comes from desires, unfulfilled desires. So if you have no agitations, you have no desires. No? <laughs> Expectations. That's when you know you're ready. We have a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Does everyone understand that? What, yeah, how this knowledge functions? Because from now on, this is the serious study. Now we're all gonna, you know, go. You can't miss a class now, by the way. Yeah, because this is systematic studying. This is the serious stuff now. So, right now, you cannot understand. You are the self. That you are God. There's total ignorance. A man shouted and said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. 
What happened to him? What happened to not him? Stoned. Crucified, wasn't he? This is the craziness of the world. One time you're a dreamer, another a deep sleeper, another time you're a waker. You're all awake right now, I hope. These are the three states we constantly go through. You don't know any other states. None of us know any other states. We're trying to get to the fourth state. This is what this is, the state of self-realization, the fourth state. The self is enveloped with desires. So this knowledge purifies the mind of these desires. And as you remove the desire, what is left is your real personality, your true self. So this knowledge, it takes you to a certain level, like the twig. Thereafter, you need to experience the last bit from within by meditating and removing the last desire. Another example. Pole vaulting. You need, you know, in the Olympics they do the pole vaulting. How, how does that work? What, what, what does a pole vaulter do? You propel yourself with a pole over a certain height. Perfect. Yeah, everyone knows pole vaulting. You need to get. You need the pole to get over the barrier. Correct. You can't take the pole with you. Can you? No. You can only get over the bar if you let go of the pole. Same thing. This is how the knowledge works. Take the knowledge takes you to a certain point, then the last desire is to reach that goal of self-realization. That's when you start meditating on a mantra. So all these rishis in Himalayas, what are they doing? This is what they're doing in a cave. They've relinquished all their desires, hence they're living in a cave. They have no worldly desires. And they're meditating on that last desire. Please God, give me that experience of my true personality. And they're sitting in there meditating to hopefully reach that goal. This is what's happening. Don't get dejected, yeah? And don't build a cave in the garden. We're not in a position to do that. But it will still take us to a certain point where we find contentment and happiness in the world. Maybe that goal is next lifetime. But we start making steps now. Yeah? So what do we know now? This is where we start. So now, have I explained everything in the sense what we're trying to do, where this knowledge fits in, what is our goal, how to get there? Yeah, is everyone clear about this? Okay. So now we start trying to understand what we know. We said we know ourselves and we know the world. So what is the world? What is the world made of? Let's explore. We, need, we said we need to start with what we know. So we all know the world because we live in it. But do we know the world? Let's explore. <coughs> the world is made up of four main realms, kingdoms. Mineral, vegetable, animal, and humans. Have I missed anything? Is that correct? Does everyone agree? Mineral is the most inert, meaning dead compared to the other three categories. There is no awareness or power. It goes through some small physical and chemical changes, but nothing of significance. So very minor traces of life. Any example of a mineral kingdom? What's in the mineral kingdom, anyone? Diamond. Diamond. <laughs> Trying to give us another hint or what? <laughs> it's not even one on my list, diamond. We're trying to lose, remove desires. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, diamonds. What else? Air. 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 
We're talking more dead material in the world. Fungus. Fungus is actually rocks, stones, material that has been on Earth for millions of years, thousands of years. There are changes on there, but it's relative. So it's hardly any life in in mineral realm. Next category, vegetable kingdom. Little more awareness, consciousness in the mineral kingdom. How? Min- vegetable kingdom. That's life, because it grows. Grows. Plants, their roots and body grows. Branches of trees can grow big, all in different directions. They have a little awareness, consciousness. You know, some people say they talk to plants and the plants grow better. But they're also restricted. Their motion for movement is restricted. They're stuck in one spot. A plant can be one meter away from water and still die. Isn't it? So there's life, but it's limited. What's the next kingdom? Animals. More evolved than mineral and vegetables. They have freedom of movement. They can travel, hunt for food. You can say more conscience than the other two categories. They have more feelings. They are more conscious of the world. Correct? Next category is us, humans. The most evolved out of the other four. Supreme amongst the four categories. They control the other three. They have the most power. Can achieve great things. They can harness time, space, go to the moon, create food. But the main thing that makes humans different from the other three is what? Hmm? Intellect. Intellect. Only human can. Only humans can think about the idea of God. Only we can ask. What's going to happen after I die? What will happen? What's beyond this world? Only a human being can do that. Out of the other three. German philosopher. These Germans, I'll tell you what, they're good at philosophy. Leibniz says, Life has three manifestations. Life sleeps in plants, dreams in animals, and wakes in man. Sleeps in plants, dreams in animals, wakes in man. Any questions? It's a lot to take in, isn't it? You're all falling asleep? Yeah. So we're going to discuss the human being next. That'll take the whole thing. <laughs> No, we're not going into that much detail. You'll find also that uh, we'll be covering a lot of things more often. And this is done, aut- this is done uh, naturally because when we first hear these things, we can't absorb everything all the time. So a lot of stuff is repeated again in association with other complex uh, um, concepts. So don't think, oh, I didn't understand, or if you didn't take everything in, you know, sometimes you have to re- read the book 10 times before you get these concepts because we're not used to learning and studying especially such deep things so don't worry about it yeah human species the world functions in a systematic way there is order in the way everything functions do we agree with that there is some sort of order isn't there The macrocosm and the microcosm are very similar in its function. Difference being only size. What does macrocosm, microcosm mean? Does everyone understand what that? Macro, we're talking about the whole outside. outside. Micro meaning miniature, like within. Yeah. So microcosm means small, microcosm means the whole entirety. So it's saying that the world functions in a systematic way and there's some sort of 
um, similarity between the way the world functions and the way we function, yeah? And the way, for example, the, mini the, the miniature things in life function. So example, the four seasons can appear in one day. Four seasons appear in a year, correct? But four seasons can appear in one day. Spring as morning, summer as noon, autumn as evening, winter as night. It's like the four seasons in one day. There are also similarities in the cosmos, meaning the universe, compared to the atom. If you, if, if you look at how an atom is structured, there are similar t similarities to how the, the actual universe is structured. The way the Earth spins around the, sun's, uh, around the sun and the moon, etc. If you look at an atom, it's very similar inside. There's also a similar relationship between humans and the world. The four realms we just discussed, four kingdoms we just studied of the world, apparent in nature of human beings. What do, what do we just say? The four, four kingdoms, four realms of the, of the world. What did we just say? The four different distinction of the world. Minerals, minerals. animals, animals. humans. So they're saying that this is also apparent in human beings' nature. There's five categories in human beings. Mineral, vegetable, animal, human. And the last one is God person. What is the difference between them? Anyone? How would we translate that into a human being's nature? Let's see, mineral. What do we say a mineral was? Inert. Huh? Like dead, innit? No life. How would we translate into a... What would a mineral person be like then? Someone who's dead. Someone who's dead? exists and you, you probably don't see or hear them. They're just there. No questions. No wanting to find out. The no life Just them. existing. Mm. No life in them. Sloth. Lazy. Yeah. <laughs> so there's another way we're going to um, look at a mineral person yeah, in, in the concept of this knowledge so a mineral person is someone who's the most selfish most self-centered we're trying to understand what a human being, how a human being is yeah? we're going to measure it in the level of selfishness so a mineral person is most selfish and self-centered but it, it goes with what we said, that sloth, laziness, yeah, he's not going to be doing anything for anybody except for himself. Yeah. So it's, it's similarity, yeah? Most selfish and self-centered. No concerns for others' welfare. As long as I'm all right, that's all that matters. I mean, we all probably know someone like that. Caters to his physical body. In this category, like in the mineral kingdom, the person shows not much energy, is lazy, lethargic, no care or concern for anything. They just cater to the needs of their body and their five senses. Long as their needs have been looked after, even at the cost of their own family, basically the most selfish person. But that's a mineral person. See, even we may go through that state at sometimes. It's not a particular person. Well, he's a mineral person. We may be going through that state at times. Next category is vegetable person. Slightly less selfish than mineral. Caters to their family, not beyond. As long as my partner, kids are okay, I don't care about anybody else. So, slightly less selfish. 
In this process, they struggle to cater to all the needs of their family and are mentally disturbed, leading to unhappiness because their desires are never-ending for the family. And why are they mentally disturbed? Because anyone who is selfish will always be agitated. It's the law. If you're selfish, you'll be agitated. Animal person. This class is also selfish. They're all different degrees of selfishness, yeah? This class is also selfish. But they go beyond their family unit. They identify with their caste and creed. Community. And cater this group only. They become confrontational to anyone beyond this unit. Causing more pain to others than pleasure to their own. Don't worry, I'm going to finish now, yeah? Now I can see everyone's getting tired mentally. It's a lot to take in. So, an animal person only is, is less selfish because he's not only just thinking of himself, nor his family, he's thinking of his community, his kind. Example. In the Arab world, they are all Muslims. Each clan keeps fighting with each other. They'll sacrifice for their own clan but doesn't identify with anyone else. Also, you see it in all the communities here, different Swaminarayan temples. Why? Lack of identification. Even in our own community, there's no identification with any other community. We're just analyzing what's, what it is like yeah, in the world. So they're less selfish, but still, it only goes to a certain level human person less selfish than the other three categories some identify with all humans but some only identifies up to his own country folks beyond that he cannot relate he will fight wars for his country leading to fighting and bloodshed I'm an Indian I'll fight for India against Pakistan those who relate to all humans cannot relate to animals they will kill and destroy animals just so that they can eat it, or for fun, hunting. He may be a patriot to his country, but he goes out hunting, killing animals. Millions of innocent creatures are killed each day just for the tongue. Did you know food has no taste before it reaches the tongue and after it leaves the tongue? So for that 10 seconds of taste, millions of animals are killed. True. Can you taste before the tongue, it hits the tongue? So he identifies with all humanity, his country for example, but all whole, whole of humanity, he may identify with all fellow humans in the world, but they can't identify with animals. Correct? Finally, God person person who is self-realized, God-realized. His attention is on the transcendental and not the world. He identifies and loves all living creatures and is totally unselfish. He understands the truths of life, that everyone in the world is one. He has reached that state of absolute peace and bliss, zero selfishness. This category of person is very rare. That's why there is only one Jesus, Krishna, Buddha, and many other self-realized souls that have reached this rare state. Those are the five categories in a human being. Does everyone understand the, um, how we're comparing with selfishness? different categories and level of selfishness or something? Make sense? <laughs> selfishness is also the impurities of the mind, so we need to reduce our level of selfishness. Only way of reducing selfishness is identifying with a higher, the greater. See, in the lowest category, one identifies only with himself. 
Vegetable with his family, immediate family. Animal with his community. Human with nation or humanity, but not animals. And final category with the whole world and everything in it. So it's how much one can identify with. Each must find out where they are. The more unselfish you are, the more you can identify with. Which makes sense, isn't it? The more unselfish you are, if, if you're unselfish, you can say, let me see what my neighbors are doing. If they need any help, they're having a party. Let me see if I can help them. That's level of unselfishness, isn't it? My community, there's something going on. Let me go and see if I can help them. The more unselfish you are, the more you can identify with. Because you attract people to you. The more selfish, the more you repel people. You know someone so selfish, would you approach them for help? So no one goes to them. So they repel people. Selfishness repels people. Unselfishness. You know what, Bella? She's really helpful. Let me go and ask her. She won't say no. Unselfish. You can approach her without any problems. So how can you become more unselfish? Change your attitude. Use your ego. Right now, most people's attitude is, what can I get from that person? You need to change that too. What can I give to that person? See, you, you, you change the attitude, you reduce your ego automatically. The minute you're not thinking of yourself and you're thinking of others, you're reducing your ego. When you have this attitude, you're more happier and successful in life. This is the last bit. One should make it his life's mission to rise above the category one is in, and not be stagnant, to discover his true nature, to reach the state of self-realization. So whichever category you're in, try to raise yourself to the next category. Keep developing your circle of identification. You must become a better evolved person until you reach the state of God-realization. This is your true nature, your birthright. Don't waste this life. Put in effort. I know it's not easy, but you have been privileged to come across this knowledge. It would be a waste if we didn't use it. This is a human being's goal in life. Effort. Five letter word. So you can come here, take this knowledge. It's a good class. You feel good for yourself because you've been listening to something. You've been thinking, you all got headaches because you've, you've never done so much thinking in such concentrated levels. Until next week. Or you can put in effort and think, you know, I must. I was watching, I've been away for two weeks, on my own. That's two weeks of your life. <laughs> and I was, I think I can't remember, I was watching this movie, and uh, this, I think it's Samuel L. Jackson, he said, to change, if you keep doing the same thing every day, there will be no change. The only way you will change is by changing what you do. So you can take this knowledge and keep doing what you're doing. No difference. Or you can take this knowledge, take a concept, apply it in your life. You're now making a change by putting in effort, then you will change as a person. That's Samuel L. Jackson. 
if you keep doing the same actions every day, you won't change. Only if you change your actions, then you will change as a person. Any questions? There's a lot today we did. I'm trying to make up for the last two weeks, you see, you think. You had a nice break, so I'm thinking. <laughs> Please, uh, there's a lot. I've taken, I've given a lot, so you have to listen and, uh, you know, I'll get Richard to try and put it in as early as possible, the podcast. So, um, if I'm now, and if you try and listen to the podcast before the following class, you'll have a better, you'll absorb a lot more, so you're ready for the next class, because next class is free conditions of the mind. Yeah, so we're going to become getting more subtle and restless mind, imperfect mind, perfect mind. And that ends the chapter two. Any questions? We're finished a little bit early because he needs to do, he's got another group coming in, he's got to do a lot of work in here, so that's why he asked me if we can finish a few minutes early. Any questions? So with these five different things, we just have to work it out for ourselves where we are. We can ask somewhere. Like <laughs> <laughs> you can ask your partner. No. I'm sure. Yeah, it's to do with self-reflection and. Yeah, but you really you can't reflect within yourself because you don't know how the outside world sees you. But we've now. And some of the things you can't tell that you're doing those. No, absolutely. If it takes time, I mean, to be your own critic, yeah. it's not easy. Because yeah, everyone thinks they're perfect. Always focus on the negative as opposed to some of the things that are positive. Yeah. It, it takes time thinking of, you know, you've got a bit of knowledge to understand the differences. So therefore you can apply it to you. And how selfish am I? How unselfish am I? Um, identification. Do I identify with my neighbours? Do I identify? What's my circle of identification? No, it's not going to be clear cut. Because you're going to be mixed yeah. of different yeah. categories yeah. Yeah. sometime in your life, or yeah. sometime in a week. Yeah. It could be all three different categories. Self reflection is the effort you need to put in. The world is, the world is not going to change. Yeah. That's what I said. You will have. You may be different people at different times. But this is knowledge for you, own self-reflection of your own understanding, thinking: Who am I? What am I? Now I understand what these scriptures are saying. Let me see if I can develop myself, apply myself. In these certain areas, when you're falling in certain areas, you can say, look, I'm going into that category. Let me raise myself. You know, it's being self-aware with a little s. Self-aware. That's a lot to take in today. Welcome.